Well, again, good morning, and uh, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad to be here, and uh, I love Sundays to come together and be uh, with uh, church family and, you know, support, encourage, pray for each other, be there for each other. You know, we need to be good listeners uh, as well as people who talk a lot because I know I can talk a lot, and uh, so sometimes I have to, my, to force myself to be a good listener. And so it's always good to be able to come together as a church family, listen and encourage and be there for each other. Amen? You with me on that? Sometimes when we have, uh, sometimes when we have people up here on the stage uh, musically, uh, I, I forget to really kind of point out that we have, you know, you might be thinking, who are these people that <laughs> rotate through here? And uh, and, you know, so the other day, actually, I didn't come up with it. Kim said, you know, you might want to actually think about, you know, showing, telling people who those people are. And uh, so I'm going to try to be better about that. Um, you know, we've had David Heron come through, and Mitch has led worship here. In fact, he's going to be leading worship here uh, in uh, two weeks even uh, again. And, uh, and so today we have uh, Nate and Missy Gregg with us. They're part of our Newburgh campus, uh, part of the worship ministry uh, over there, and they're rotating through here today. So we're glad that they're here with us. Amen. So there you go. Now you know who they are. You can say hello to them later on and, uh, and know their names, okay? And I'm glad you guys are here too, by the way. All right, so we are in Great Lives from God's Word uh, until mid-July or something like that. So we're still in it, and uh, I'm glad to be. This week we're starting Joseph. How many of you know about a thing or two about the life of Joseph? Yeah, one or two things about him, right? Now, again, he's got 13 chapters dedicated to him at the end of Genesis. And so let me just say, we can't cover it all in three weeks, and so you're going to have to go and do some digging on your own. You're going to have to go read on your own. Genesis chapters 37 through 50 uh, cover Joseph and his life, and, uh, and it's really an amazing uh, story, an amazing account. And I don't ever want to get into that place of viewing, uh, viewing you know, names and lives in the Bible as uh, mere uh, characters and stories that are just, you know, something that wasn't something that really happened. I want us to be really careful about that and focus on that. These are real lives, real history that happened, biblical history. And so, uh, and so as you go and you read, don't just think of Joseph as the flannel graph guy that's stuck on the board, you know, for those of you who remember flannel gra- graphs. Uh, you know, don't think, because that's how I grew up at Burlingame Baptist Church uh, in the kids' ministry, you know, they put the flannel figures up and you know, that was just the way it was. To me, Joseph and Moses and all these people were just a character on a flannel graph, you know. But they're not, they're real lives, and uh, so we do well to read it as such. Now, we come through several uh, lives in the Bible, uh, and we are looking at them really as divine mentors, right? Remember at the beginning, we talked about uh, making mistakes and how we've all made mistakes but it's easier to look at somebody else's mistake and learn from it, amen, rather than just, hey, let's make all the mistakes ourselves. Yeah, that'll be a good idea. And so we're looking at the Bible, and we're looking at some of these lives and seeing how they can be divine mentors in our own lives. And as we read Scripture, you know, what can we learn from their lives? Things to do and things not to do, okay? So... um, 
you know, there's, how many of us know there's failures in the Bible as well as successes? The Bible's not filled with successes, right? And, uh, and sometimes we tend to uh, think, well, you know, if there's a negative thing that happens in the Bible, maybe we should just skip over it and, you know, pretend like it's not there or something. There's a lot of negative stuff that happens, a lot of, of consequences that are really hard to read about uh, in the Bible. And it's very, that, that's what I think is part of what's so beautiful about the Bible is it doesn't try to sugarcoat anything. And nor should we try to sugarcoat what's in it. And so, uh, so as we read through these lives, we see a lot of things uh, that we think, wow, you know. And so maybe you have thought the same thing as you've read through some Bible stories as well. So let's learn from these lives. Amen? You with me? Everybody still awake? All right. Everybody have breakfast this morning? Ready for? Okay. How many of you guys eat breakfast in here? How many of you don't ever eat breakfast? Okay, a couple people. I rarely do either, but anyway. So, today we're in Genesis chapter 37, all right? So, if you have your Bible or your iPhone or your iPad or if you don't have one, there's uh, Bibles that we've laid out on each row uh, because we're really trying to get people into the Bible uh, and and, uh, read it for themselves rather than just looking at the screen. Uh, You know, it's really interesting. We're going to go way over today if I keep doing this, but uh, it's really interesting how, you know, it used to be that we'd, uh, well, the church I grew up in anyway, we'd read out of a hymnal. How many of you guys read out of a hymnal? And, and you sang songs out of a hymnal, and then all of a sudden in, I don't know, probably the 80s or something, you know, they had those things that you'd put on the overhead, you know, projector, and, you'd, you know, somebody had to sw- switch them out and stuff. And so all of a sudden, the words got on the screen, and everybody went from looking at a book to looking at the screen. And what I've noticed is it started out as a really good thing, and it's kind of given people, uh, you know, a license to be lazy, (laughs) okay? That's how I see it is. The screen has become a little bit of a license to be lazy. And so during this, I want everybody to get back to actually reading in the Bible and, and knowing that what I'm telling you is actually in the Bible. That's important, isn't it? Instead of looking at a screen and again, saying, I guess it's in there, you know. So let's do that. And that's what we're trying to do here uh, in this series. What I want you to do is think about what the perfect family would look like. The perfect family. What are the things that we would put on the list of the perfect family? You know, I'm, I, I, I thought of a few things here. You know, maybe no divorce happened in the family and, and everything is just, you know, they stay married, everybody, you know, it's perfect that way. Maybe there's uh, no drama for your mama in the family, right? No drama. Anybody have drama in their family? Don't raise your hand, okay? (laughs) We have drama in our families, right? Uh, No difficult relational elements of life. Everybody just gets along perfectly, smoothly. That's most of our families, right? Thanksgiving and Christmas are incredible. They're just amazing, the most amazing time you could ever imagine, right? Perfect family. Maybe everybody's got perfect jobs, and they never lose jobs, right? And it's just a perfect job that you're working, and you skip to work every day and click your heels, you know, as you jump in the air. You just love to go to work every day. Maybe you do. Maybe that's you here today, and if that is, amen to that, you know? But my guess is it's probably not most people because we 
mostly work because we've been doing it and it gets us paycheck and it pays for things and all that. But, you know, maybe everyone's always happy in the family, a big smile, right? Walk, I mean, that's the way it is in church, right? Even if you've been yelling at each other in the car, you walk through the doors, you're like, put on a big smile, you know? You know, that type of thing. Maybe you've never done that, I don't know. It's happened in my family. Oh, yeah, everything's great, brother, you know? Maybe you have perfect kids. Maybe the, the, the perfect family has perfect kids. And here's what I thought about uh, as I typed that out. I, it, I was kind of laughing to myself. And Anybody in here ever watched A Little House on the Prairie? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Little House on the Prairie, episode, season five, episode one. Uh, it, it's on... Uh, one of the streaming services anyway, uh, and so we go and watch it on there, but uh, it's called As Long As We're Together. Anybody remember this when they moved from Walnut Grove to Winoka? Because Walnut Grove, there's no, no business, shut down the mercantile and everything, <clears throat> and so they're shutting it down, and Ma and Pa are trying to, they go to Winoka, they pull around the corner, and funny enough, it's the same set that Bonanza used and, and uh, the Brady Bunch used. It's the same, have anybody ever noticed that? You go watch this now. When they come around the corner, you're like, wait a minute. The Brady's at the ghost, you know, the ghost town episode. That's the same place. Anyway, easy, Clint. Okay. So uh, anyway, uh, they go into Winoka, and they're pulling in there. And remember, they get out, and they're trying to find a job, and they go into the Dakota Inn, and, it's, and they're, they're talking to the guy, and he's like, well, let me show you what has to be done, right? And so he takes him out, he washes the windows and does all these things, and, and she, you know, Ma's going to be serving in, in the uh, cafe there or whatever. And, and, uh, and so they're so good. Remember, she makes the best biscuits, and he's doing such a great job that, uh, that you know, finally he says, the job's yours. Does anybody remember this episode except for me? Man, I'm excited about this, but you're not. So, so anyway, uh, he, he's... He, he says, the job's yours, you know, and, and to which uh, they reply, well, we do have children, but they're very polite and very quiet. And he says, and while he's eating the biscuit, he says, oh, I ain't never heard of children like that before. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's the truth, right? Is, are there perfect children? Are there perfect kids? No, no. And, uh, and no matter how much we want to try to make it look really, really good on the outside, uh, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Families are not perfect. And here's the deal. My guess is that none of us in this room fit that list of perfection, right? The perfect family. And if it is you, we don't want to hear about it. No, I'm just kidding. If it is, you know, if it is you, that's amazing. But uh, the hard truth is that perfect families don't exist. And we all know that because we've all gone to Thanksgiving and Christmas with our family. And so we know that. My family and I, uh, throughout the course of being in ministry over the years, uh, we've lived in very, very poor communities, and we've also lived in very, very affluent and wealthy communities. And, and I can tell you this, the main difference is that wealthy people can hide their imperfections more easily than poor people. But let me warn us, it does, it's not that it doesn't exist, these problems in wealthy communities and affluent communities. You can just hide behind your money better. That's the truth. And they might look like everything's together from the outside and perfect kids come smiling in and the family is plastic looking and all that. But let me just tell you, 
There are no perfect families, and whether it's wealthy or whether uh, a community is poor, there are problems that are the same in all communities because people are people, amen? So, it's just easier to hide those imperfections. Now, Joseph, you're saying, why do you talk about all this stuff, Clint? And I'd say this, Joseph came from a line of very, very imperfect people that God used for his larger providential plan, right? We talked last few weeks about Esther and, and God's providential plan in all of that. And we can say the same thing about Joseph. If you know the whole story, wow, God is amazingly providential in working out his plan and sovereign over it all. Joseph's lineage was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, okay? Abraham twice lied about his wife, Sarai, who he, so he wouldn't get killed, right? Oh, she's my sister. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. And he also slept with his wife's servant uh, in order to produce offspring because his wife couldn't have kids. So they came up, well, let's help God out. Here you go. Come sleep with my servant. And Abraham, okay, I guess I got to, you know. So that's what happened. Now, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and out of that wonderful plan, what happened? Ishmael came, which, you know, I mean, you know, a baby's a baby, but here's the reality of it. We still see the problems in the Middle East today because of that one, uh, that one uh, uh, stupid plan from Abraham and Sarah. So, problems still continue because Ishmael ultimately would become the father of the Arab nations, uh, whereas uh, Isaac would be the son who the promise came through. God said that's the one who the promise come through with the Israelite people. So, anyway, if you didn't know, now you know. Uh, very lasting effect, right? And uh, so, Isaac then um, was the only son of Abraham and Sarah, a miracle really. And when Isaac grew, he married Rebekah. And they lived in the land of Canaan all their life and had two children, Jacob and Esau. Rebekah helped Jacob steal the blessing of his father Isaac, and both parents favored one of their children over the other one. Jacob and Esau were twins that ultimately looked nothing alike, if you know this story or this account. And Esau was born first, right? Jacob conned Esau out of his birthright for a bowl of stew. I don't know if you know the story or not. Real thing. And he also stole the blessing from Isaac um, with the help of his mother, who loved him more than Esau causing Jacob ultimately then to run and live with his uncle Laban, who was really a tool. He was something, okay? There he worked, and he, he was treated poorly there. Eventually, remember, he worked, for, uh, he worked for one wife of Rachel, he wanted, but then we were just talking about this before service, right? Then, then uh, his uncle says, oh, here, here she is. But lo and behold, who is it? Leah, right? And so here he has to work for 14 years so he can marry uh, the woman that he actually wanted to marry and whom he loved. And, uh, and so they were his cousins to boot. So, you know, that's just the reality of it. Another one of those things you can't gloss over. 
and then uh, brought on two more concubines, so, uh, you know, as wives as well. So, man, what, what, a, what a mess this was, right? Jacob's wife, Rachel, was the only one who he really loved, and they had two children, and their children were Joseph and Benjamin. And so, we get to our character or our, uh, our Bible life for, this, uh, for the next three weeks, Joseph. So now you know a little bit about the background of where he came from and how messed up his family was, right? <laughs> so go back and read about it. It's very interesting. So let's read a little bit about his early life. We're going to read be in Genesis 37, verses 1 through 11, but we're going to read verses 1 through 4 right now. Genesis 37, verses 1 through 4. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. There's a couple of names for you if you're going to have a kid anytime soon. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. In other translations, put that differently, but this is the, NL, uh, the NLT. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them, and they couldn't say a kind word to him. So a few things that we see here at, that we look at. Jacob had sons with Leah, Rachel, Bilhah, and Zilpah. Thus, Joseph worked alongside of his brothers, his half-siblings here. One of the first things we see is that, uh, is that Joseph, and it not only appears here, but it appears elsewhere in his account as well, that he is, uh, really has integrity. Now, he's not always the smartest guy, <laughs> okay, but he has integrity, and, uh, and so while he's tending his father's sheep, because sometimes he did that, is, is an interesting thing, right? At, sometimes he would tend to his father's uh, flock there. But while he was doing that, he saw his brothers doing something uh, that wasn't very good. Now, what, what was it? Do we know? We don't know. We don't know exactly what they're doing. But my guess is it probably was something that had to be, uh, you know, something more than just a, a minor infraction. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to really say anything, especially you, you know whether your brothers like you or not, right? And in fact, they hated him. So you're not going to go tattle on him all the time. But something they were doing led him to go and talk to his father about it. And, uh, you know, it really turned into strike one for Joseph, okay? Strike one for Joseph. Here he was, he was young, 17-year-old, sent into the fields to work with his brothers, takes it upon himself kind of to keep tabs on what's going on there. I don't know if he should have or shouldn't have. When you're the, one of the youngest ones, they tend to do that, right? Anybody in here a young sibling? Anybody in here the oldest sibling? Did your young siblings tell on you a lot? I'm a middle one, so I don't know. I'm right in the middle. I have no idea. I just want to be, you know, get along with everybody. So, so, uh, but I do know this. My youngest brother told on all of us older a lot, okay? So, that I do know. Um, 
So he takes it upon himself to keep tabs. And, uh, and so he reports to dad and, and, you know, what the problem was. And this was really strike one, you know. The brothers knew and the brothers hated him. Strike one. Another thing that we see is Jacob loved Joseph more than the other children. By nothing that Joseph did, he received strike two, right? Strike two is dad loves him more than all of the other siblings. Now, they felt the effects of that. If your parents showed favoritism to any of your other siblings more than you, you felt it. My guess is you grew up feeling that. And so, you know, that's kind, of, that's kind of the deal. We sense those things, we feel those things, and they can be big problems. Children can feel uh, a sense of any favoritism that is shown or given. And so, I would just say this, parents, if you've got younger kids in here or even older kids in here, uh, don't show favoritism to any of your children. Uh, you know, it's... it's, it's It'll cause friction and it will cause problems uh, right from the get-go. So uh, just avoid that at all costs. Now, Jacob is the one who caused this anger in the other siblings. It wasn't Joseph. He didn't do anything except for be loved most by his dad. But, uh, but you know, I'm sure there was a little bit of, you know, he kind of liked that, I would imagine, don't you think? You know, he kind of liked the fact that he had maybe special privileges or something. So, uh, so... Jacob showed favoritism, strike two for Joseph. Jacob gave a special gift to Joseph because he was his favorite son, and uh, this was really strike three for Joseph. He got a special gift that none of the other siblings got. Blaise Pascal, the French uh, philosopher from the 1600s, once said, the heart has its reasons which reason cannot know. (laughs) Has your heart ever made an emotional decision that your brain couldn't defend or reason out? (laughs) Right? Like, when you make a decision from your heart, usually it's like your brain later on is like, what were you thinking, dude, you know? And that's kind of the way it is. And I I, I remember once, as as I was putting this together, I remembered once uh, before Kim and I were married, I, I was pursuing her, you know? And, uh, and I remember her and a friend drove down to, uh, to the coast, to Gearhart or uh, Cannon Beach, I think it was, that they drove down to. And uh, so I got uh, Kim's brother, Ricky, to go with me. I said, hey, let's go to the beach today, you know. I mean, Kim's there. I'm like, let's just go down there. So I said, hey, let's go to the beach today, you know. He's like, okay. So we drive all the way down to uh, Cannon Beach, and we pull in there, and, uh, and, and, and as we get there, we get out of the car, and we're walking, and we run into Kim and her friend, and, and uh, we're like, hey, guys, you know, how's it going? We didn't know you were here, you know, type of thing. <laughs> what? You know, and, uh, and I remember, um, you know, I remember, they're like, where are you guys going? Because they're heading back towards the car, and they're like, uh, we're leaving. There's not much going on here today, so we're taking off. So they got in their car and left, and what did we do? We got in our car and left, too. So we drove all the way to Cannon Beach to be with them, and they left, and so then we didn't spend any time at the beach. Just like, my heart made a decision that my brain later was like, what are you doing, you know? It's called love, but you know. Uh, but it's just interesting. I don't know, maybe you've experienced something uh, similar in your relationship or, or whatever, but sometimes the heart makes a decision, and your brain is like, oh boy, I can't even reason that out. <clears throat> now, I don't recommend making decisions with your heart, Okay. 
I don't recommend that at all, mostly because Scripture reminds us that our heart is deceitful and can lead us astray. And uh, when we're being led by it and making decisions by it, we can, be, uh, we can get off course very fast. It's deceitful above all things, all right? That's, in fact, what Scripture tells us about the heart. And so, you know, when you, next time you see something that says, just follow your heart, just say, nope, not going to do that, you know? So, use your brain, don't follow your heart. In our story here, Jacob loved Joseph most because he loved Rachel most too, and his heart loved uh, them more than the others. And so this gift that came, you know, it doesn't say a lot about it. Mine just says a beautiful robe, you know, whatever yours says, uh, maybe a, a tunic of many colors, anybody, a tunic of many colors or a coat of many colors or something. And so the cloak was some sort of beautiful garment that set him apart from the other children. And, you know, I did some reading on this, and some people say it was a cloak that had long sleeves. Well, what that signified, if that in fact is the truth about it, what that signifies is that this cloak would be not for a working person, because working people didn't wear long sleeves. You know, you're not going to do that. So, that signified right there that he was, a, was set apart from the others, and he didn't have to do what everybody else did. And so, uh, some, you know, again, some people say that that's what it meant. And if that's so, his brothers would be like, that loser gets to wear long sleeves, and we don't. We've got to wear tank tops because we're working hard, you know, or whatever they were. So, Joseph wakes, uh, or for, uh, uh, Joseph wakes up, and he looks at his wardrobe, and, and, and every morning, can you imagine this? He's like, hmm. What to wear today? Mm. Oh, I'll wear this, the coat of many colors with long sleeves, you know, and, and make my brothers uh, mad at me again, you know, or something. And so, obviously, uh, we know from the story that he had flock responsibilities, right, uh, from time to time, but he did not work as hard as his brothers, and they hated him for it. So all of these things work together against Joseph, and verse 4 ends by describing that they hate Joseph. They hate him. And if you're from Texas, you say, they hate him, okay? Right? Am I right, Janice? They hate him. So, it's not a good situation for Joseph. Bottom line, it's not a good situation. Genesis 37, 5 through 11, uh, we'll carry on, we'll read those, and that'll be the last part of the scripture that we talk about. One night, Joseph had a dream And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him. They hated him even more. Listen to this dream, he said. (laughs) Man, that's his first mistake right there. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed down low before mine. Oh, man. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and the way he talked about them. And soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. And they were probably like, oh, great. You know, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? 
But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. So Joseph has these dreams, and and these dreams are in fact a representation of what will come ultimately. Uh, it, it, It is a representation of that. But I would caution us at this moment uh, to say, are all dreams uh, a message from God? <laughs> well, I sure hope not. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but I sure hope not, man. Uh, you know, the answer is no. Now, c- can God use this method of communicating something to us? Absolutely he can. You bet he can. Uh, but I believe that if that's the case, that you will know that it has a deeper meaning and you are to think about it, ponder it. He, God is big enough. He's going to reveal that to you. And, you're, you know, it's not going to be just some average dream that you have because we all have average dreams that it's like, uh, that's not from God. I don't know what that was. But, you know, most of the time my dreams are, uh, you'll probably anal- overanalyze this, but, uh, but most of the time my dreams are, I'm trying to get something done, but I just can't finish it. I just can't get it. Like, I'm going to preach in like two minutes, and I'm not even close to being done with my message, you know? Like, oh no, where's that, you know? And, uh, or I'm leading worship, you know, and I, and, I, and I can't find the headstock to my guitar, and I'm like I'm trying to put my guitar together, you know? And I'm, where, where is it, you know? And so I'm w- walking around backstage trying to find stuff. You know, or I'm trying to play golf, but I can't tee the ball up. As hard as I might try, I'm trying to tee the ball up, but it won't. And I look down the fairway, and it's nothing but huge trees in the way. And I'm like, what? You know, so, uh, so I don't know. Maybe I should uh, think about that more and think about what those things mean. But, but the reality of it is not every dream is a communication from God. And I want to, I, I want to caution us about looking too much and trying to pursue too much about all of these things uh, you know, uh, all the time. Because sometimes it's just a dream. Now, I don't know everything that goes into dreams. Uh, I went into ministry because, you know, I don't want to study those things and stuff. So I don't know what all goes into it. Uh, but the reality of it is not all dreams are communications from God. So I would say it's the exception, not the rule, uh, a dream like what we're reading about here. Now, these dreams that Joseph had were indeed divinely foreshadowing what was to come, uh, but Joseph tells his family the dreams, and no one is real fond of them, huh? <laughs> Nobody likes them all that much. And, uh, you know, maybe he could have thought how he could presented those better. Have you ever presented something bad poorly to somebody? And, like, should have thought that one out a little bit more, right? Uh, and, and so maybe he could have thought that out a little bit better, uh, you know, about all the bundles bowing down to him and doing all these things and, and immediately throwing those things out. But, uh, you know, he, I, I can't imagine, like, like if you had that dream, would you rush right out to tell that to your brothers? and stuff? Like you would think, hmm, 11 other bundles bowed down to this one bundle. Hmm, what could that mean? You know, I have 11 brothers and ah, you know. So, you know, he could have thought that one through. And ultimately, that made them hate him even more. And here's the deal. It was layer upon layer upon layer upon layer, right? His strikes all were just layers for his brothers to hate him. And I wonder if we are people who build layers of hatred towards other people. Do you ever build layers of of anger towards somebody or layers of gossip about somebody 
And I'm just here to tell you, if you build layer upon layer upon layer, you're going to have a real hard time loving that person. You've got to rip down. You got, we have to be people who work hard to rip down layers and not build up layers, not talk smack about people behind their back, you know, not uh, do these things. Because once you build those layers, it's pretty hard to, uh, to love somebody and even to be around them. I don't know if you've ever felt that, but it's hard to even be around them. You know, and have you ever been around somebody who won't even look you in the eye and, and they just like, you're like, man, something's weird about this and, and your relationship is a little bit funky? Like most of the time it's because there's things going on behind the scenes that, you know, you don't see or hear and there's layers that have been built up. So I want to encourage us to be people who build, uh, tear down layers instead of building them up. Amen? You with me? Everybody still with me here today? All right. Again, Joseph uh, could have been more wise in everything, but he was 17, and who among us wasn't stupid at 17, right? I mean, let's just be real. We, weren't, we thought we knew it all, but we didn't. At 17, Joseph was mostly thinking of himself and what he felt, uh, even considering what his brothers, not considering what his brothers would feel about any of this. And that's what 17-year-olds do, right? Life isn't all about feelings, uh, because feelings can lie to us, right? But we should be at least considering other people's feelings as we pursue truth. We speak truth. We speak things to people that are, uh, that are scriptural and truthful. But we do want to be cautious about how we present things, not to just rip people down and crush their feelings and run over them or those types of things. So be careful. Now, in our account here, Joseph told his father Jacob, and he was a little frustrated as well. But he didn't brush it off. Rather, he was like, okay, let me take a deep breath, step back, and I'll ponder this and consider if it may mean something. Uh, everything today points to the fact that families are difficult, don't you think? Families have problems. Families are hard to be part of. Uh, and, and maybe it's been that way all of, you know, history. Amen? But still, amazingly enough, God still uses imperfect families uh, and imperfect parents and imperfect children coming from an imperfect lineage. That's what we see uh, right at the start from Joseph's story here, and maybe we see that in our own stories as well. And we aren't sidelined because of those imperfections. God will still use us even if we come from imperfect families because every one of us does and we are imperfect and our children are imperfect and all of those things. So don't try to have so much control over everything that you're trying to make it perfect. Darn it, you know, you're going to do it. But God still uses us in our imperfection, in our messed up families, you know, past, whether that be, the you know, our the ancestors who came before us or our present or future issues that might arise, those things aren't going to disqualify us from God being able to use us for His purposes and for His plan. And we all need to know that. Now, I would say this. If there's disobedience towards God and just a, a lack of care to follow Him and His Word and to, you know, that's, that's different, okay? That, that's different. We all have to submit to God. We all have to submit to His Word. 
But what I'm saying here is not that we can be disobedient to God and receive his blessing in that disobedience, but rather that where we come from, no matter whether it's messed up or not, doesn't disqualify any of us from being used by God and receiving his blessing in our lives as we submit to him. Ultimately, God uses Joseph, uh, you know, messed up lineage and all, to achieve his overarching providential plan. Joel, would you come back up? If Joseph's family wasn't messed up, now, this kind of breaks it all down. Maybe I could have just read this today, would have been all we needed to do, but I like to talk. If Joseph's family wasn't messed up and his brothers never sold him into slavery, he never would have ended up in Egypt. If he never goes to Egypt, he's never sold to Potiphar. If he never is sold to Potiphar, then Potiphar's wife never falsely accuses him of of rape. If he never was accused, then he never goes to prison. If he never goes to prison, he never meets the baker and the butler of Pharaoh that are in prison. If he never meets those two, he never gets to interpret their dreams, which he does. If he never interprets their dreams, he never gets introduced to Pharaoh to interpret his dream. If he never interprets Pharaoh's dream, he never gets placed into second in command over all of Egypt. And if he never gets placed in second in command, he never prepares and saves grain for the coming famine, right? And if he never prepares for the famine, his family in Canaan would have died and the lineage of Jesus would be gone. If the family lineage of Jesus dies off, then Jesus doesn't come to make the way for you and I to be saved from our sin. All of this stemming from a messed up family, right? Maybe we need to rethink God's ability to use what we look at as too far gone, amen? And so we're going to sing through a chorus here as we have this short time of reflection Let's ask God to remind us of His greatness and His power and to use us even in our weaknesses and His ability to reach and save even those who He seems to, uh, they seem to be too far from Him. We all know those people in our lives. We think, man, they're way too far gone. Let me just say, He's able. He's able no matter what. So think about that today. Think about His greatness and His power God, we do lift you on high today. We look at you and your magnificence, Lord, how great and powerful and mighty you are. We look upon you with wonder and awe, and let us never lose uh, that awe that we have for you, God. We can sometimes look too much horizontally than vertically, and Lord, help us to be people who look vertically to you and keep our eyes focused on you and not horizontally on the things of this life and this world that uh, can cause us frustration and anger and, and hopelessness. But Lord, look to you and find hope in you. We are grateful for that, God. Today, as always, we pray that if anybody be here that's far from you, God, that you would draw them to yourself today, to the wonderful work of Jesus Christ on the cross, pay the penalty of our sin, that we can be positionally in Christ and repent of sin and turn to Jesus 
and be adopted into your family, God. And so those of us who have experienced that, Lord, we are so grateful. Our hearts are grateful to you. And so, Lord, today, draw people to yourself. Lord, help us to turn away from some of the things that maybe we've picked up and along the way and that are unhealthy for us. Lord, help us to turn from those things and turn completely back to you once again, Lord. We want you to be our ultimate and complete focus. Make us more like Jesus Christ, your son. And so we say thank you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray together as your family. Amen. Amen. Hey, everyone. It's Pastor Clint. I want to thank you for joining us today for this podcast, and I hope it was beneficial for you. Our vision at Family Life Church is simple, to create a safe and authentic environment for people to encounter Jesus. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please don't hesitate to send us an email at admin at myflc.org or connect with us via social media on Facebook or Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. We'd enjoy hearing from you. Again, thank you for listening today and God bless you as you pursue Him.